Well, you can say hi if you want to. Hi, this is Howdy. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Greg Lamont. Welcome to the Velocast. Nice, really nice, yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Velocast. Another action-packed day of the 2019 Tour de France. Tactics played out early, and indeed right the way across the 185 kilometres of Stage 15 from Le Mans to the summit finish of Prat d'Albis. With 50 kilometres gone and the day's break containing such luminaries as Nairo Quintana, Roman Bardet, Vincenzo Nibali, Simon Yates and Dan Martin, it was clear that no one was prepared to take it easy before tomorrow's rest day. And when it came to the day's final climb, the attacks and indeed some capitulations came thick and fast. Up ahead, Simon Yates profited from his work earlier in the stage to take his second win of the campaign. However, the biggest stories of the day are that while Geraint Thomas and Julian Alaphilippe made the best of what could be described as less than stellar days, Thibaut Pino continued his assault on both mountains and the GC alike. I thought it was absolutely fascinating that we had three Grand Tour winners, three recent Grand Tour winners in the breakaway. I, I couldn't decide whether to be pleased for them or insulted for them. <laughs> I was thinking, I mean? yeah, I was thinking as as that break played out and, and we saw the list of names, if you had come, you say you'd been on holiday for a couple of weeks and had come to the tour this afternoon you would have been wondering what on earth has been going on that there's a break containing all those names and more two, three minutes up the road and seemingly no one else in the peloton were giving a monkeys about them. It was really bizarre to see. And like yourself, you're going, that's a bit insulting given the stature of the riders that are out there that really nobody does give a monkeys about them. It's actually really funny because Simon Yates, we know why nobody gave him monkeys. We saw him losing time, hand over fist on purpose to be ready for what ultimately has turned out to be a, a futile plan to support his brother Adam in an assault on the yellow jersey in the final week. Vincenzo Nibali, we saw looked tired and we saw that even more so today. You know, he was dropped relatively early, but never looked actually like he'd gone that deep. You know, he was. I think he's resigned to his fate now. He knows that he's not there. He'll have the odd punt because it's the, the way his brain works. But he didn't look ready. But Nairo Quintana, I mean, we saw a really telling moment later on in the stage when Mikel Landa joined the group that Quintana was in and didn't even glance sideways at him as he passed him. I think Nairo Quintana has quite a lot to answer for because we laughed at Movie Star yesterday largely because they kept driving once Nairo had been dropped. But I actually think they played a blinder today and I'm starting to think it's actually cost them an awful lot to have the belief that they showed in Nairo Quintana yesterday. Other than the obvious cock-up at just keeping driving once he was gone. Because they did a really tactically astute and clever thing today. But Nairo Quintana, I can't ever see winning a Grand Tour again, which of course means he'll go in the attack and you know, 2,500 metres and rip the thing apart as the week goes. But we also had a lot of intrigue within that group. You know, we saw Simon Yates clearly thinking, I've been saving my legs, it's time I'll go and do something. Um, you know, Baikam Olima was gone. Woods, I think, did a storming ride with his, his injured uh, ribs. Simon Geshka brought back memories of his, his halcyon days at Sunweb in the CCC jersey. Rode very, very strongly. But really the main intrigue was in the group behind, where that GC which we saw played for with such aggression and such passion yesterday is still open for grabs for a handful of riders as we go into the final week. I can't remember enjoying a Tour de France as much as this 
certainly in the 21st century. You know, I can remember some, 93 still my favourite, 86. And it's reminding me of all of those things. We've got some super strong performances from people, but there's an edge of frailty to the riders that I think adds a real piquancy to watching this tour. You know, there's nothing cut and dried. There's nothing straightforward. There's loads of unexpected stuff. And I can't believe we're into the final week now. It feels like it just started because we've had intrigue and something to talk about every single day. I'm going to drag you probably kicking and screaming back to something you said a minute or so ago. And and you know that gif, I mean, this is the best way I can put it, given that this is an audio medium, but you know that gif of Britney Spears, where she's kind of looking very confused. I've and got lots of gifs of Britney Spears. No, 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 more specific no, that. not that special folder of gifs that you've got of Britney Spears. The one where she's on clearly in the panel of some kind of X Factor type programme in America and she's just kind of darting her eyes from left to right looking very confused that that be me I am channeling Britney's confused face when you talk about how movie star were tactically astute today because mm-hmm. I think if there was a prize for a team which looks to have achieved the most halfway through a stage absolutely Movistar would win it every single day. They had Quintana, Amador and Soler up the road. And then mm. we saw Quintana kind of pushing on when, when they had used up Amador and Soler. And they, they dropped back. Then a really good attack from Mikel Landa on the Mur de Peguera. And he joins forces with the two retreating domestiques. And at, at this point you're going, oh, the, right. This, and I can just imagine Twitter being full of this. Oh, Movistar taking it to to Enios and, and everybody else. This this is the stuff that, that legends are, are, are made of. Eventually, Landa goes on solo to join Quintana, who, as, as you rightly mentioned, uh, doesn't even look at, at Quintana, never mind speak to him. He proceeds he's straight to, past him. Straight past him. Not only that, rides to the front of that group and pushes the group so hard that the first thing that happens is Nairo Quintana is dropped. Mm-hmm. And what did Movistar actually achieve today? Uh, well, they moved Mikel Landa right up the GC. The um, Mikel Landa who was six minutes down at the start. So yeah, He's still better than Nairo Quintana. Well, I, I mean, I, think what, I, I genuinely think what they did the best they could make of a bad job today. I think yesterday they made so many mistakes that we were quite right to laugh at them. And the, their biggest mistake was putting all their eggs in the Nairo Quintana basket. Uh, Nairo didn't have it for whatever reason. You know, there's talk of him having hunger knock and all sorts of things, but he just didn't have it. I think they realised today... Quintana is more or less irrelevant. You know, he's going to Arkea Samsic with his retinue next year. Let's just forget about him. Let him go in the break. Let him do what he likes. What have we got left? We've got Alejandro Valverde with some big stages coming up above two and a half thousand metres. He's going to fade like, you know, Visage in the 80s. And I, I mean, that, <laughs> do you know, you know, I knew you Steve were going Stranger to do whatever. I know you did. I mean, you and I know each other so well that you're going to fade, fade. Where's he going to go? I know, Steve Strange. I know. <laughs> but... You know, they knew that they know that Valverde's going to go, and actually, more on that later because I think Valverde's presence in that finale has some significance for other riders. I think they know that Land is their best bet. They knew he was in a good ride when Soler and Andre Amador dropped back. They weren't there to help him in the climb, the final climb to Prat Dalby. They were there to help him get to the climb and then just get on with it. And I think, yep, they've now got a rider who's, what, nearly five minutes down? So he's not in a great position. He's only six seconds ahead of Alejandro Valverde. But he's in a better position than he was. 
and he's put down a marker that he's in form. And the team, having cocked up royally yesterday, I mean, they were absolutely bloody awful yesterday, I think redeemed themselves to a certain extent. Yeah, they're not in a great position, but I think they're in the best position they could expect to be in. Well, I, I think maybe the, the legacy... And you're the, just wrong if you disagree with me, so you can shut up. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do the edit in the show, John, so you know I can you can say what you like, I can just edit it out. Um, I think the lasting legacy of Naira Quintana, just looking at the time gaps, you know, you, you're saying Valverde and, and Landa are now five minutes there or thereabouts off, yeah, off the, the GC, is that... You know, if it continues into the, the fourth week, they'll be right up there. Because Movistar, to me, are to tactics what a hairbrush was to Marco Pantani. They are just awful and they need to learn it isn't the swashbuckling 80s anymore. These exploits yeah, do... I really think it is. Sorry? I, I really do think it's the swashbuckling 80s again. <laughs> Not the swashbuckling 90s where they had bloodlight treacle. No, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see where you're, you're, you're going... On, on that assessment based on what's happening with the actual GC guys. I just mean in these swashbuckling exploits where a breakaway is afforded 10 minutes and these, you know, huge, huge leaps up the GC are possible. That break today was only ever afforded three, four minutes. Yeah. And that's never going to be enough the way that riders race up final climbs these days. So, yes... Mikel Landa moved up in GC, but the tactics themselves could have been actually done a whole lot better. And I think Movistar need to start learning how to ride in the 21st century, as opposed to imagining that you can take 10 minutes on on a break and, and stick it till, till the end. It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't I, think they, I don't think they thought that. I don't think they think Landa's got a chance of winning. I think they're just trying to move him up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they generally have limited options. They made one huge mistake, and that huge mistake was to put faith in, in Nairo Quintana. And I've got it. It's the team competition. How did you stupid see their tweet? No, you, of course you didn't see their tweet. You're not on no. Twitter. No, what, Some, what? somebody tweeted, oh, you know, they've got they've got the team competition and, and back from the official movie star account came. Yeah, but we don't really care about it. No. Yeah. <gasps> I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely shocked. I've got another, I mean, whatever the gift for shocked faces, I've got that on now. Maybe they've only got yellow helmets with them. <laughs> We don't really care about that. They care about that in every Grand Tour they ride. Stop talking yeah. nonsense. Uh, right, let's get to beyond the, the whether it's tactical genius or tactical idiocy from Movistar, we'll agree to disagree. Um, other riders today, I think, I mean, Pino was superb again this afternoon, and I think Groupama are actually benefiting quite a lot from other teams' work. Mm-hmm. Quick step we saw earlier on be the the team to keep that break in check. Then Jumbo Visma moved to the front and and worked really hard. They were again fantastic this afternoon. But as soon as all that work has been done, what we saw again was David Godou moving to the head of affairs just to set Thibaut Pino up for his attack, and they had been largely invisible for the, you know the previous hundred odd kilometers. Yeah, and Sebastian riding back up the road as well. Um, I think the one thing that I take away from this tour, besides the individual performances, the thing that's made it so enjoyable for me compared to recent tours, is you and I have talked in the past, very often actually, that it's not Team Sky as was Team Ineos now. It's not their fault that the other teams are scared of them. 
you know, it's not their fault that they're dominant if the other teams won't assemble the kind of squad that will take the race to them. And even when they've had that kind of squad, they've still looked intimidated. And who knows, if Chris Froome had been there, that might still have been the case. Mm. You know, because Froome changes the equation and the dynamic within the team as well as the dynamic with the, the other riders. But what we're seeing here is a whole bunch of folk who aren't afford or aren't afraid rather to take the, the race by the scruff of the neck. We saw we saw a quick step earlier on, um, where Elia Viviani dropped um, Enrique Mass, and Mass was clearly just in a bad day. You know that's not a criticism in the way that we criticised movie star, for example, of of um, riding for Nairo Quintana yesterday. You know they still have Julian Alaphilippe, who's exceeded all expectations. Quick step have to keep riding, so they did what they could earlier on. Now, later on, they were entirely absent, which had a big effect on the day's results. But we've also seen Jumbo Visma with multiple riders there, you know, often more than Team Ineos, ready to push. And we saw from uh, Kreuzweig later on that that faith is justified. You know, he's finishing up with the top guys where he needs to finish. So Jumbo Visma are performing well. But I think you're right, a really clever ride from Francis de Jeu today. Because what we saw was a team that when, you know, when it needed a push, they'd put somebody there. They'd put somebody up the road for that, you know, the famous bridging manoeuvre to give a wee bit of help. But then they didn't do more than they needed to do. But it wasn't because they were scared, it's because they were clever. And if Thibaut Pino wins this thing, and, you know, I'm starting, I'm starting to hope again, I really am starting to hope again. If Thibaut Pino wins the whole shebang, he will... He'll bear a lot of the pride and the, you know, the responsibility for that on his own shoulders because he performed magnificently yesterday, performed magnificently today. But he'll be looking back at the performance of the team and the performance of his DS and think, actually, that was built on some, some strong foundations. The team have been clever. They don't have a huge, deep well of assets like Ineos, but what they're using, they're using really smartly, I think. And let's get to that deep, supposed deep well of assets at, at Team Ineos. You're so right about the, the, the absence of Chris Froome and how uh, a, a leader of that stature can change the dynamic both within and without. But even with the defending champion and the new young um, wunderkind is Egan Bernal, Enios have looked a shadow of the Team Sky lineups that we've seen. They've never really come to the front and 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 done that thing that we expect from an Enios Stroke Sky squad and, and you know really put the pressure on. I keep watching stages, especially across the last couple of days, going, right, move to the front. This is where they move to the front. This is where they put the, the pressure on. And largely that job has fallen to Jumbo Visma. They've mm. been the guys that have gone and pushed the pace up and, and, and shelled people out the back. And the people from Enios are either sitting in the group safe or as safe as they possibly can be, or indeed they're the ones that are getting shelled out the back. I mean, we talked yesterday about how there was the possibility that, that Kwiatkowski was being just let drift away on the, on the penultimate climb so that yeah. it would be fresher. And then that was kind of proven to be a, a falsehood. And I think more evidence of that done today. I mean, what pools eventually did a, a, a good containing ride for, for Geraint Thomas, I think, and was, was worth his salt, even though it's not the third week, you know, the, the third week, what 
thing, you must have been thinking, why am I doing this now? I'm not, I'm not due for another few days. Because there's nobody else left is why you're doing it. <laughs> exactly. They just haven't been any kind of force to be to be reckoned with. And I asked through kind of some some back channels, um, is there a bug going around the team? You know, are they just trying to kind of keep keep it quiet that they're, they're really struggling? No, no bug. Everybody's in, in rude health. And I don't know whether there is this this feeling that the absence of Chris Froome and maybe a, a Geraint Thomas who the question mark is increasingly becoming a, an exclamation mark of, of faltering performances is spreading to lack of confidence throughout the squad because they've just not been there. I think there's two things going on and I think the lack of a figurehead is, is certainly that. We don't know. I mean, we, we've heard talk of how Geraint Thomas conducts himself as a team leader. And, you know, everybody loves Geraint. He's a great guy. You know, I know two guys personally who live in Edinburgh who who used to race with him as a junior. None of them are surprised by where he is. You know, they've all said it's not what we expected him to be, but if you knew him when he was then, you know, racing then, it's no surprise. You know, he was going to achieve whatever he wanted. But he, he seems to focus very much within himself, whereas Froome... For all of his um, character flaws, you know, feeding bunnies to snakes and all that kind of thing. You're not going to let actually, that go, are you? No, I'm not. It's, <laughs> I, I like a nice bunny. But it's part of who he is. You know, he demands that attention. Whatever you think of him, however you think he got there, you have to recognise that he, beha- you know, he behaves as a patron in that team. So I think there's an element of that. I think there's an element of confusion with Geraint crashing out in Suisse. The team are as confused as we are. They've got the numbers, but that, that doesn't indicate how you're going to race in the day. Along with, as you rightly point out, Egan Bernal in the ascendancy. I also think they're not far off where they should be. You know, they're only 2 or 3% away from where they are. And the big difference this year is everybody else has taken a step up. Mm-hmm. You know, Jumbo Visma are... are much better. And it's no surprise because we've watched it for the last two years. You know, we've watched them get incrementally better. Groupama FDG are, are absolutely blowing my mind because I knew Thibaut Pino was going to be really excellent. You know, that's the reason I picked him as my favourite for the overall when yeah, we did yeah. the preview show. I didn't expect the team to be as clever or as strong as they are. So they've stepped it up. Movie Star, for all their tactical errors at the front, are actually strong enough to lift the race to the point where it's hard for anybody else to come through. You know, when Mark Soler or Audrey Abador get in the front, you've got to be doing 400 watts before you can go past them. You know, so I think there's just this general rising of the tide, along with a slightly off par Ineos, which shows us how tight the margins are in modern cycling. You know, this isn't a super team that are absolute streets to anybody else. It's a team that have been consistent with real depth of, of strength in the riders and who have just been 1% or 2% better than everybody else. But at that level, that's enough. And they don't have that this year, which means they're just another team. And it's coming as a shock to us after all these years. It's like if, you know, if US Postal turned up and were suddenly mince. The thing you know? is, though, that... that- that's a bad saying example, that, though, because there's no. Of course, I, I, I know, but it's the style. I, I mean, no implications in that direction. No, of course, I, I understand that, and, and it's the style of riding rather than yeah. what, what inverted commas bunny ears fueled that that style of riding. Um, I mean, we were saying that, but I'm immediately drawn to Warren Bargill yesterday, for example, who, despite the the type of US postal train just was being performed either by Movistar or by by Jumbo uh, Visma, Warren Barguil was still able to leap 
off the front. Now that seems more like the this you know the people are just doing what they're expected to do and everybody's kind of hanging on a wee bit but there's still the ability for someone a proper mountain goat to to jump and attack whereas the point of that that sky train when it was in full flight full effect is that they were holding the pace so high that the roman bardes the bargales the contadors even at late in his the career Nibbles. and nibelis couldn't make that that jump beyond them and even if they did they learned very quickly that they were getting reeled back in within 50, 100 metres. So the fact that Warren Buggy was able to jump away yesterday kind of also made me think, I don't know whether there's a lot of people really struggling here and they're, they're maybe going through the motions to make it look as good as possible and hope that everybody else is, is feeling it as much as, as they are and the pace isn't quite as high as, as you would expect or as being... Um, supposedly demonstrated by by what we see on on the screens it's been an odd tour i mean a fascinating one but but i really sorry i'm I'm getting excited about this because i'm loving it so much actually i don't think it's odd i think it's a return to who they're supposed to be i think we're in this weird world just now where leaders are better than domestiques you know what's going on with that (laughs) and it's how it it's how it used to be no, I agree. I absolutely. And, and I, odd was only in, in the sense that it, it's it's a marked difference to what we've we've seen before. And before that, there was something else that was yeah. that was equally odd. Yeah. Um, let's let's move then to the bulk of the action because that move from um, Godot to set up Thibaut Pino was where everything got interesting. And I know we're going to disagree with each other again because we, we kind of touched on this before we press record. The first thing that happened was Geraint Thomas was in a bit of trouble after Thibaut Pino attacked. Yeah, and um, we saw Egan Bernal uh, able to follow. Thomas wasn't, had whoop pulls with him. And Thomas, for me, at the foot of that final climb, Looked better than yesterday, I'll be completely honest. He looked better than yesterday, but didn't look right. And that was confirmed when he was he was dropped. And in that group was Stephen Kreuzweg, uh, Julian Alaphilippe, who'd struggled a wee bit. He was in there. And then that started a whole conversation about what should happen. Uh, we had Pino up the front, just fully delivering. And without the rest day tomorrow, I'd be really worried about Thibaut Pino because he went full gas yesterday. He went full gas today. You can't do that day after day after day. But with the rest day, I think he's still in a good position. But with Egan Bernal up front, we had a conversation from Geraint Thomas. And I've got to say, I really hate rider interviews after a race. You know, you put a microphone under their nose and they go, oh, I had good legs, I had bad legs. Oh, he looks good. Blah, blah. You know, it's just turgid nonsense. Geraint Thomas is the exception to that. What you get from Geraint, and all credit to him, is usually a real reflection of what's going through in his head. And a a nice wee bit of humour. But he'd said that he'd, you know, with Egan Bernal up the road, he wanted to attack, but he didn't want to take Alaphilippe up, so he sat down. I think there's a bit of, let's be polite and say delusion in that. He didn't look like he could attack. On the steeper sections of that climb, he wasn't able to respond. It's not that he chose not to, he just wasn't. And when he was able to respond later on, it's because the gradient tipped down a wee bit. So we saw a better Geraint Thomas. Up front, we saw an Egan Bernal, who I think it's quite right to be released. 
you know, we saw afterwards Bradley Wiggins saying Egan Bernal should have stayed with Geraint because he's the team leader and he's the defending champion. If you looked at Geraint Thomas yesterday, if you looked at Geraint Thomas in the time file, you'd be an idiot to leave, you know, to leave Egan Bernal beside him. Bernal is your, your best prospective chance of overhauling Geraint Thomas as they hit the really high altitude. So you've got that dynamic within the team. You've then got Jumbo Visma with Kreuzweig wanting to step up. They've got riders there. But they don't want to work if Geraint Thomas isn't working. And all of that benefited Julian Alaphilippe. Alaphilippe could have lost the jersey, you know, going completely out of yellow today. And that combination of reticence and reserve from the chasing group, for whatever reason, whether you believe Geraint that he could have gone but didn't or chose not to, actually led Alaphilippe to hang on longer than he thought. And then I thought Alaphilippe actually did for him, for the way he rides, a pretty good containing ride. But there was drama all over that mountainside. I was asking myself different questions time and time again. Every 200 metres, why are they doing that? Are they capable of doing this? It was a fantastic day's racing. I mean, I, I, I loved every minute of it. And I'm actually, for me, finding it hard to analyse there was so much going on, which is it's a rare event because usually I've got, you know, a couple of lanes of notes and just go, he was rubbish and he was great. <laughs> well, it is... In that analysis of, of Julian Alaphilippe that we, we once again find ourselves disagreeing slightly because I, I felt that that was the first mistake Alaphilippe has made all tour. I think when Pino went, there was no need for Julian Alaphilippe to, to, to follow him. All he had to do was stick with Geraint Thomas and get his DS to tell him about time gaps because with Pino being three minutes tw- 12 behind on GC... There's no real need to be f- to be following that and putting yourself in in the hot zone, which he clearly was, because he was dangling precariously off the back of that that small group, which and formed even through every orifice he had. Yeah, yeah. So why not just sit there with, with Geraint Thomas? He's the guy that's closest to him in GC. He can essentially write off um, Thibaut Pino as as an encroaching problem for a day after the rest day or, or a few days after the rest day. Don't worry about him right now. And by putting himself into the to the red, all that he all that he did was ship time to all his rivals because Whitpool's managed to, to um pull Geraint Thomas back, as you, you rightly say, when the gradient just eased off a wee bit and Geraint was able to find himself a bit more. Um he rode himself up, or they rode themselves up to Julian Alaphilippe, who'd been dropped by Bernal and, and Pino because Pino just kept attacking. Mm. Um, and when that gradient lessened, Geraint Thomas, hearing presumably from Nico Portal in the car that Pino was just rampaging and, and was liable and to. Bernal over- was in trouble at that point. Yeah, and liable to overhaul him for, for second place had to go on the attack himself and that put T- uh, Julian Alaphilippe in further trouble. So I think if he'd have just sat with Geraint Thomas, he wouldn't have shipped time to all of his rivals. Um, and there was, I think it was just naive r- racing and, and, and his DS in the car probably should have been screaming in his ear to tell him to calm the hell down and just follow wheels. He didn't need to go after and and be the, you know, the, the cavalier rider that... Clearly, we know he is, but the sense got a lovely of lovely T-shirt actually at shop.velocast.cc, which celebrates that very fact. It, it does indeed, and I'm maybe regretting doing it. <laughs> <laughs> the sensible GC winning uh, rider would have just 
cock Annie to use a, a a good Scottish phrase rather than being uh, the, the the swashbuckler that that we expect from from Ala Philippe. I don't actually disagree with any of that. I I think that's a very good analysis of what happened. The only place that I differ is I wouldn't actually put any blame on Philippe's shoulders. I think the DS perhaps should have been slightly more assertive. Mm. But I think it was, was it the, it might have been the 89 or it might have been the 91 tour. And I, I could actually be making this up entirely and may have dreamt it. But there's a really good Greg Lamont quote that I can't remember just now about the yellow jersey being a lonely place. You know, he was on his own. His team were long gone at that point. You know, he's got nobody. And... He's in a situation where, let's be blunt, the hopes of the French nation are resting in his shoulders. You know, the bloody president of France turned up to see him the other day. Um, and I think his first reaction was, this is my jersey. You know, I need to defend it. Now, with more experience, and he'll have gained that experience today, he would have thought, Thibaut Pinot, you're right, he's minutes down. I'm going to forget about him. I'll worry about him later in the week. But I think he just saw a GC rival going and the only way he knows to race, because he's a one day racer, let's be blunt, this Mm. is a real transition for him. The only way he knows to race is to react. And that's what he did. Now where where we might differ slightly is I think once he realised he couldn't go, then I think he actually reined that in a wee bit. Now whether that's his DS shouting at him or whether it's himself thinking, if I go too hard, I'm going to blow and everything is going here. I think after that initial reaction where you're spot on, I think he started to manage the situation well. Finished at 149. So in the end, he only lost, what, 30-odd seconds to Grant Thomas. It could have been much worse. Oh, absolutely. Um, So I think we're actually, and this is a rare thing for me, I think we're both right. (laughs) And probably for the same reasons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those weird situations. I think what we're seeing today, though, Whatever happens with Julian Alaphilippe in the weeks to come, or weeks, God, listen to me, I, I really can't believe this is the third week of this race. My head is mince. Whatever happens to Julian Alaphilippe in the, the week to come, I think we've seen a man who's realised he's capable of winning the biggest race in the world. I think we've seen a man who is realising that he is capable, given the correct route, of winning the Tour de France. And all of these mistakes, all of these wee mistakes we've seen from him, where it's due to exuberance and... I think we started to see a change to that yesterday when he didn't chase Thibaut Pino in the very finale when I think he could have. He's going to learn from that. He's also put himself in a situation where all the other DSs, all the other team managers in the world will look at him and will think, that's a Tour de France winner. And if he's still with Quickstep and Quickstep don't start thinking about reforming a team around him to support him in what are now very genuine aspirations to win the biggest race in the world, we could easily see him move on to another team that's prepared to build a team around him. We're seeing a change in, in, in Julian Alaphilippe that I think will last for the rest of his career. Now, I hope we don't lose the explosiveness. I hope we see him merge, or morph rather, into a Vincenzo Nibali, where he's still capable on his day of pulling off those magnificent exploits in the single-day races that we love him for, but also having the kind of restraint and the kind of teammates that he would need to mount a challenge for the Grand Tours. And this is precisely the the problem that we highlighted when Patrick Lefebvre made that statement a couple of years ago about wanting to build a GC winning team, a Grand Tour winning team, that how do you balance that against 
their 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 pedigree in in the one day races and the classes. And why would you change that? I mean, they're the best single day single day team in the world by a, a country mile. Yeah, and because the, you know Belgium will expect that to continue. Yeah, it's just that they'll also want the success of of Julian Alaphilippe and when he's back on on the form that, that Alberto Contador believes he has Enric Mass um, as well. That's a difficult situation for for Lefebvre, and I don't really envy him that that task in, in the slightest. Right, well, Twitter quote of the week for me actually so far this week has been, um, and there's been a lot of really good stuff on Twitter which I thoroughly enjoyed. But my favourite, which is actually a very low key one, where somebody when Geraint started to falter yesterday and Julian Alaphilippe was still in the ascendancy in the you know the climb up the Tourmalet, somebody had said, "If you're Dave Brailsford." How do you deal with Julian Alaphilippe? And somebody just said, "You get out your checkbook. Mm. You know, you buy him. It's as simple as that." Yeah, absolutely. Right, moving on to what I actually think will be a very, very difficult choice this afternoon: the conquistador of the day. Oh, it's a nightmare. I mean, you know, you've got Manny Buchman up there in fourth place in the day. What a ride from him. And he looked to me like he was going to get shed earlier on, but turned into an absolute powerhouse for Bora. You know, that is a rider who has a grand tour in his future. There's no doubt in my mind. Despite our disagreements, I actually thought about Mikel Lander because I genuinely think he performed like a Trojan today to give... A movie star who absolutely, you know, they did they stuffed both their feet in their mouth, chewed them off, and then shot the stumps yesterday. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were just awful, and he put themselves, he's put them back in a situation where they're unlikely to win. But I could see him getting a podium. You know, his um, attack. I mean, in fairness to him, I, I totally agree. His attack on the moor today was was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, it really was a great attack, and I thought it was ill considered when he first made it, but. Okay, in, in fairness to, to Mikel Landa, that was a fantastic attack and he carried it all the way through to the end. I think maybe he was, rather than GC placings, he was probably looking for stage win. Yeah, I mean, that certainly was in the cards because Simon Yates could easily have tumbled, mm-hmm. which brings me to my third possibility. Mm-hmm. I thought about Simon Yates. Mm. You know, because what we've got from Yates is that combination of completely complete commitment to his brother's cause. You know, he didn't ship that time by accident. And then today, when Adams faltered, he's come through, he's performed for the team. He was so chilled in that final few kilometres. I thought he was going to get off and have an ice cream or a hot cup of cocoa or something before anybody else came up to him. So I thought about all those guys. I thought about Geraint Thomas, because we saw a slight resurgence today. I would have slapped you if you did. Yeah, with the caveat, and I'm going to say this, Everybody that's getting excited about a resurgence should bear in mind that he wasn't able to drop Alejandro Valverde, okay? He was better, but he was better once the slope got easier and everybody else was getting slower, you know? It's not a Geraint Thomas who would have won up the last year. And in the end, I'm going to be really, really boring. I'm going to go for Thibaut Pino. And I'm going to go for Thibaut Pino for the same reason we went for David Gaudu yesterday. Um, and it's because that team... And it's a word that I've used about them, you've used about them in this podcast, were so clever. They were so clever. They had the resources. They used them to perfection. And Thibaut, when the opportunity came, went full commitment. There was no mucking about. There was no equivocation. You're still five, six kilometres out. You know, the days of waiting for the last kilometre and going for boring, predictable attacks that grab a handful of seconds are gone. This was proper 
old school attacking. Absolutely in his limit. If he'd blown, his tour's over. You know, he could have lost time absolutely hand over fist. But he committed fully and he's put himself in a situation where he's now fourth, just outside the podium at 150. Kreuzweg's three seconds ahead of him at 147. But I think you're an idiot if you don't regard him as a serious contender after this. He's got the rest day. He's been rampant in the mountains. This is a man positioning himself for a serious bid. He's not racing for a conservative placing. He's not racing to preserve points in the top five. He's racing for the Tour de France. And I salute that and I think it deserves recognition. And as I said to a friend this afternoon, can you imagine if he hadn't lost that time in echelons last week. Can you imagine what the situation would be right now? Thibaut Pino could be a couple of minutes ahead uh, in, in yellow right now. No, I, I wholly agree with your choice. Uh, I would also like to give just like a notable mention to Team Sunweb's uh, Leonard Kamner, who I thought was superb today. finishing, what a beast. Yeah, finishing in sixth place. So that's just my a, a feature of the Conquistador of the day that I've invented over the past couple of days, the notable mention. Actually, I think we need two things which are really important because, you know, I know how many people, I see the traffic numbers, people are flocking to shop.velocast.cc. Our servers can barely cope with the traffic, which is a slight lie, but I'm trying to encourage you to go and visit. Loads of folk have been buying t-shirts. We need a Thibaut Pino t-shirt and we need a Conquistador of the Day t-shirt, mate, so get on it. Yes, clearly I don't have enough to do these days. Right, you can find out more about the Conquistador of the day by visiting conquista.cc Stage results for today then. Simon Yates takes the win ahead of Thibaut Pino. Mikael Landa finished in third. Emmanuel Buchmann was in fourth. Egan Bernal in fifth. Leonard Kamna was in sixth. Geraint Thomas finished in seventh ahead of Stephen Kreuzweg in eighth. Alejandro Valverde was in ninth and rounding out the day's top ten was Richie Port. General classification then, after stage 15, Julian Alaphilippe is still in yellow, now 1 minute and 35 ahead of Geraint Thomas in second place. Stephen Kreuzweg is in third at 1.47, while Thibaut Pino moves up to fourth at 1 minute and 50. Egan Bernal is in fifth at 2 minutes and 2, while Emmanuel Buchmann is in sixth at 2 minutes and 14. Mikel Landa is up to seventh at 4 minutes and 54. Alejandro Valverde is in eighth at 5 minutes. Jakob Fuglsang is in ninth at 5.27 and Rigoberto Uran rounds out the GC top 10 at 5 minutes and 33. Tomorrow, the riders are afforded their final rest day of this year's race and arguably when they return, the GC guys are given another. Stage 16 leaves from Nimes and somewhat unusually for a Grand Tour stage, they return to Nimes 177 kilometres later where a bunch sprint will no doubt decide the day. I'm not surprised. Nimes is lovely. It is a very nice place, Nimes. Lots of lovely got, Roman bits to it. No, absolutely. It's got a fantastic amphitheatre. Um, it's got the Pont du Garde nearby, which is, you know, absolutely stunning. Stunning aqueduct. Brilliant. There's loads of stuff that's left over from the original Augustan walls. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a classicist at heart. I'm, Nimes is very close to my heart. I love it. Um, and it's probably going to be the most interesting day and thing in the day because it's going to be a sprint. We're going to have hee-haw to talk about until the final two kilometres. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And to make it all, all the more nailed on, it's actually kind of slight downhill run in, mm. inside the final three kilometres and completely pan flat to uh, the Flamme Rouge and then the, the, the finish. So all that's left is, is a prediction about whose legs have fared the best out of the, the sprinters. 
Well, the question is whether Elia Viviani's performance on that climb today showed that he's either coming into form or he absolutely buggered himself trying to help Julian Alaphilippe. Um, I, it's so deep into the race, predictions are hard. You know, you could see Peter Sagan actually being in a situation where he's not weakening because he tends to, you know, keep his strength really well, whereas the other guys having hauled themselves over the Pyrenean Hills are starting to fade a wee bit. You could see a big strong man like Christoph come to the fore. Um, I genuinely have no idea. And that is really becoming a theme for this tour. And unusually, it's not just because I'm stupid and clueless. It's because everything's up in the air. You know, there's just so many possibilities. If I have to plonk for somebody, I'd go for Elia Viviani. But the flip side of that is the team that would normally fully commit to his lead out, they've got other fish to fry just now. Well, if anybody needs me, I'll be at the edit station creating a ringtone for John, which says, I'm foolish and stupid. But thank you for joining us today as the first cracks appeared on the fabric of the Mayo Joe and Ashley House will be with you the day after the rest day to take you through a French press which will no doubt be full of concern for Philippe, but also heartened by a resurgent Thibaut Pino. Joining myself will of course return following stage 16 in the next edition of The Velocast. Velocast.